this is Laurel Sykes, Chief Compliance and Risk Officer, and I'd like to welcome you here today to the American Riviera Regional Pulse. Um, today, with in light of what's going on, uh, we thought we'd discuss a little bit about um, pandemic response plans and what the bank is doing in relation to the recent um, epidemic. And um, we thought we'd talk about some of the silver linings in addition to some of the things that are going on. What kinds of things do we think are going to stick um, that people have implemented during this time? And how is the world gonna look specifically for, for banking maybe into the future? Um, I've also got with me here our Chief Technology Officer, Paul Abramson, who's gonna talk to us a bit about uh, remote access work strategies, um, how technology can be beneficial in instances like these, as well as what sort of online banking services we're liable to see uh, continuing into the future as we um, navigate through these uncharted waters. Thanks for being here today, Paul. Thanks for having me. Great. All right, so a couple of things to, to think about today. We as a bank obviously are deemed an essential service. Um, people need access to their money during times of, of trouble and we're happy to be able to remain open to serve our clients, albeit in a little bit different capacity uh, than you're used to seeing us. Um, banks are, are, are regulated by uh, the federal government um, and they're insured by the, the FDIC, which should give uh, customers a lot of confidence because um, we are sound, we are uh, regularly examined, and under the regulatory guidance, we are supposed to maintain uh, business continuity programs to ensure that we can stay up and running um, in times of trouble such as these. Um, not all uh, financial institutions can say the same thing. Um, the fintech industry isn't backed by FDIC insurance necessarily unless they're owned by a bank. Um, and they probably haven't been through the same sorts of regulatory exams, nor have the same sorts of continuity programs in place to make sure they can continue to serve their customers. Um, community banks are really the place uh, to be right now because they're the, they're the ones that are gonna be supporting you through times of trouble. All right, I first thought we would uh, talk to you a little bit about um, business continuity planning and, and, and particularly the, the plan that American Riviera Bank has in place to continue to support our customers during this time. Um, as I mentioned, we do have uh, pandemic response plans in place um, to carry out just in times like these. Um, our management team is meeting on a daily basis to, to kind of change the rule book as we go and make sure that we can continue to serve the needs of both employees and our customers. Um, obviously, a really key point to our um, pandemic response plan right now is technology because the safest thing that we can all do is try to uh, remain apart um, and technology makes it possible for us to be physically apart while still uh, working together um, to solve problems and serve our customers. So Paul, talk to me a little bit about technology's role in this business continuity plan and the bank's use of remote access to support the customer service. Sure, so one of the things uh, that the bank has available is uh, a virtual desktop environment and that provides quite a bit of flexibility in um, remote work as well as work in the office. So we've had that in place prior to this event and it is something that our employees use on a day-to-day -day basis. So the transition to a remote workforce was pretty simple. We really just had to um, set people up at home to access the environment remotely, um, add in some additional authentication protection, uh, dual factor authentication to be specific, um, and then train them on um, 
using their own equipment to um, access some of the, the resources in a secure way. So Paul, talk to us a little bit about uh, remote access uh, and multi-factor authentication and the types of things that could be, um, could be an issue if we didn't employ those types of uh, controls. Sure, so if you're using a, a traditional VPN um, type of access, then you're, you can introduce risks into your environment by allowing untrusted devices to connect into protected areas. So like in a case where we're a bank, we have an employee at home that's working on a home computer, um, anything that might be resident on that computer um, could potentially expose the bank to risk if we didn't have good controls in place. That's correct. So traditional things like malware or um, potentially uh, allowing data to transit um, outside of the, the protected network and onto personal devices, for example. So what methods um, do we have at our disposal to ensure that there's that second line of protection or that multi-factor authentication to make sure it really is that employee that's logging in? Well, one of the things that we use that's been particularly effective is a virtual desktop environment. So the direct connection between the trusted environment and the untrusted environment does not exist. And then on top of that, we layer a second factor. Uh, most of you are familiar with an out-of-band authentication method um, a lot of you use it for mobile banking where you get an SMS text to your cell phone that you have to enter before you're allowed to log in. We use something very similar um, to allow access into our virtual desktop environment. So when you say direct access to a trusted environment, for me, the layman, um, I see that as I cannot go onto my computer and enter in a URL and access the bank's network. Uh, that's correct. So one of the methods that uh, many corporations employ, as I mentioned, is, is a VPN, where you have a client and you install that on a device, and then you would authenticate in and then be able to access directly network resources like email or file sharing. Um, the virtual desktop environment is very different. Um, it, it's essentially like a Zoom meeting uh, back to your uh, desktop in the office, or in our case, a, a virtual desktop pool that's in a remote data center. So um, this prevents malware from being able to enter the network. It also um, offers more protection against data leaving the network in a way that you wouldn't authorize. So not only does our technology allow us to employ this remote access strategy, um, we also ensure that we're protecting our clients because we have um, a, a means of setting up access to our systems that a lot of uh, banks may not be able to do right now. This, is, this uh, practice is becoming more and more common, um, not just because of, of the ability to work remotely, but it just offers a tremendous amount of flexibility and performance and um, scalability and all the other sorts of benefits that, that technology people like to build into their environments. Paul, you mentioned um, Zoom technology and this remote access strategy being similar to a Zoom meeting. Why don't you talk to us next about some of the, the ways that we are virtually working with one another while still maintaining that sort of personal connection. Sure, so we, we do have Zoom, we use Zoom, and um, we've actually started using it more and more. A lot of our meetings now are, are remote and we've been using video conference, um, which some people like, some people don't. Um, I tend to think it does add a little bit more of the human element into the meetings when they're, when they're remote. Um, and it also encourages people to, to still take a shower every day and um, get ready for work, which <laughs> you know, helps with psychological um, 
health. Absolutely. My favorite quote the other day was something somebody saying that you're still commuting to work. You just have a much shorter commute and that it's really important to kind of separate that work life from that home life balance so that you maintain some sense of sanity during all of this. Um, so another question, as we talk about um, Zoom meetings and remote access and keeping connected, is there anything that you see that's going to that's going to stick following this pandemic? I mean, we go back to business as usual and what do you think the impact's going to be on on banks specifically? So I think it is it is a good opportunity to look at all of our practices and um, I'm sure that we're going to meet regularly after all of this is over with and um, try to iterate and come up with with things that we think worked really well and and things that maybe didn't that we so we could be better prepared for the next time around as well as just operating uh, in a business as usual type environment one of the things that i've been uh, really impressed by and obviously not surprised by is the support of the community um, for all all um, people that, that live here on the central coast um, you see the schools coming together to support children that are out of school and having to instantly learn this uh, remote learning um, and, and put um, tablets and, and, and things in the hands of kids that may have not had them previously so that they can continue to learn while at home. You see the food bank and other resources providing uh, food services and you see grocery stores implementing special hours for, for seniors and the, um, those, those that are most medically um, at risk during this pandemic. And it's been really, um, it's been really impressive. So, anything that has surprised you, or that you're particularly um, impressed by, with how the community is coming together in all of this? I think anytime something of this magnitude happens, um, it, it gives you a sense of really what's what's possible if everybody all of a sudden has to pull towards the same goal. And so, of course, there's there's a lot of things that have been surprising that were achievable that maybe people said weren't or um, you know, people helping one another that, uh, you know, s seems like it would be unlikely. So um, overall, yeah, I think I, I, I've been really impressed with um, how everything has, has, has worked out so far. And I, I really do think this is an opportunity for um, the technology industry to help with a global ep epidemic in a way that maybe they haven't had to before. There's, you know, obviously been a lot of social media um, and other platforms that have emerged in the last 10 years that haven't really had to um, assist with something like this. And, and now's really the time um, to show the, the real value and, and not just um, sort of the, the frivolous, frivolous aspects of them. You know, one of the things um, that, that has been interesting to see is how the school districts in particular are reaching out to families to determine what sort of access they have to technology. Um, during these times um, and doing surveys to make sure that as more and more parents um, that, that, that have the luxury of still being employed get to work from home, maybe they're using the sole family computer to carry out their, their work obligations um, and making sure that, that all kids have access to the same sort of uh, technology has been really important. Um, how do you see as a community, we keep our, our, our children and our elderly uh, family members that may be um, sheltering in place at home and self-isolating. How, how do you see that we can keep connected um, in this time of increasing technology, making sure that those uh, emotional uh, needs are still met by people? Well, I think the, the number of available tools um, 
is greater now than it ever has been. And um, I know just for me personally, my, my parents are, are nowhere near um, at the top of the, the technology capability spectrum, but they still FaceTime with the kids and um, we're able to connect remotely, but they live uh, far away. So that's, that's been something that we've practiced for a while. But certainly I think the, the opportunity to extend remote learning to um, elementary school age kids or preschool age kids I think is something that not a lot of people contemplated before this, and it, and it seems to be working as far as I can tell. I mean, it's it's definitely making it easier than it otherwise would have been with, with just Netflix and, and YouTube and um, some of the other things that uh, are a little less educational. Yeah, the other day I watched my, my tween uh, doing a Zoom meeting with her classroom, um, and it was really great. I think one of the kids in the class, there's about 23 or 24 of them, and one of the kids had even figured out how to change the background in Zoom, and I think he looked like he was out in the galaxy or something like that. So it's, it's good to see that kids can still maintain such a positive attitude in light of everything that's going on. Um, and I think one of the other things that's important is, um, you know, they, they are reaching out to their loved ones and, and keeping that emotional connection going. Um, my kids have kind of created their own little daily schedule. Um, again, trying to keep some sense of normalcy. And my little one was just arguing with me over lunchtime and how it needed to include recess because she always had recess after she finished her lunch at school and, and could she do that? And it was a really interesting conversation to have. But the other thing that we all agreed on is that um, in addition to their school day, they might be done for the day at three o'clock while mommy and daddy are still working. So what do you do to bridge the gap um, and make sure they still do have that family time. So what we instituted is what we call social time starting at three o'clock every day. And they have options to either write a letter um, to a family member or FaceTime a family member um, or do some sort of activity. Um, I watched my, my kids yesterday um, FaceTiming with their aunt who's in Boston. So the first half hour of the conversation, um, my oldest was um, doing lesson planning with her aunt and her aunt teaches at uh, Berkeley School of Music and it's a really uh, interesting challenge when you're a music teacher and now you have to go to not being able to show people where to put their fingers on instruments and, and things like that. Um, and my, my daughter was talking about the ways that she's coming up with to organize her school schedule and her day and help her little sister with that. And then switch over to my, my youngest that wanted to do a duet with her aunt um, on the piano. So they set up the FaceTime to be looking at the keys and they were trying to do this duet and it was, it was really uh, interesting to watch because there is a little bit of a delay. So the whole idea of, of playing in concert didn't really work out, but um, it's really great to see that there are these opportunities, um, even if it's playing a game with a grandparent online or something like that, or reaching out to an aunt, or you know, writing a letter. We've gotten so dependent on text messaging and, and email communications that it's a good time for us to step back and think about the old way that we used to do things. And that's one of the things that I've noticed, um, just paying attention to the internet, is that everybody seems to be interested in sharing their ideas. And that's the original promise of the internet was information sharing. And you know, it's, it's really cool to see that that fundamental idea in times of duress like this um, really rings true. And, it, and it, everybody can come together and be creative and think about ideas to help one another get through this. So one of the other challenges that we've got is in addition to nobody being able to um, you know, congregate in big groups, 
uh, gymnasiums being closed. In addition to all that, we've had rains, and we all know that mental wellness is just as important as your, as your, um, your physical wellness, uh, especially in times of stress like these. So it, it's been interesting um, seeing what, what folks have in terms of um, ideas to, to bridge that gap and to stay active. Um, like I said, particularly in rain. My kids the other day set up an obstacle course inside the house. And while I had to, um, to, to forgive the mess that was created, it was really fun to watch them finding a way to stay active. They have a soccer ball with a game that they can kick the soccer ball and let the camera watch them and it scores them on how well their footwork is doing. Um, how do you see technology helping us in the area of, of mental and emotional wellness and not just, uh, not just work? Well, I mean, the, the most obvious answer is keeping everybody connected that can't be physically uh, together. Um, and that's, that's something that we've been able to do for quite a while. Um, but to your point, I think that the, there, there is a gap in the amount of educational activity, uh, ac educational material that is available for free online. Um, so it seems to me that after all, this, all of this is said and done that there will be um, much more, uh, many more companies out there that are offering that type of service and maybe school districts that have put programs together to address this uh, hiatus in, in, in school that end up becoming permanent. I'm even seeing um, you know, PE teachers going online and posting videos where kids can go take PE or maybe an art class or something like that. Um, and while this is obviously a, a stagnant message, one of the things that we're gonna be doing um, over the next couple of weeks is continuing to uh, highlight customers in the community um, that are offering services free of charge right now um, or that are providing access or books that are being read to kids online. I mean, there's so much out there and so much available. And, and to your point, I really hope um, a lot of it continues to stick. So let's, let's switch over to banking products and services. Um, what are the ways that you've watched uh, American Riviera Bank be able to continue to serve the client base despite um, having our doors uh, closed, generally speaking, to, to people from coming into the lobbies? So very early on, I think we recognized that in order to continue to operate in this environment, we were going to have to make some significant changes to how uh, we allowed people into our branches. And so we moved the, the customer service area towards the door, um, tried to contain as much as possible the, the places where um, pu the public would interact with us, and as well as make some changes to the, the service offerings that we had. So one of the best ideas that um, somebody came up with was the idea of opening up the night drop deposit area during the day, which would allow um, customers to come in and make large deposits without having to interact with, with anyone. Um, having people outside to assist with the ATMs uh, for people that may be unfamiliar. And then also offering uh, mobile deposit to, to businesses, which I think um, on a temporary basis makes, makes a tremendous amount of sense. So you hear people talking about mobile deposit and you hear people talking about remote uh, deposit capture. Um, what are the differences between the two technologies for businesses versus consumers? So the, everybody's probably familiar with the mobile deposit where you take a picture of a check and it's, it's one by one and it's, it's very well suited for um, people who don't accept a lot of checks or get a lot of checks. I know I, I, don't, I probably get one or two maybe a month. Um, but for businesses that process a lot of checks every day, um, the remote deposit solution 
makes a lot more sense, which it's, it's, a, it's a scanner device that allows you to put in um, multiple checks at the same time and run them through without having to take a picture one by one of, of each item. You bring up uh, large deposits of cash too, and I think that's the one challenge in all of this for banking, right? We have mobile deposit, we have online banking, you can pay your bills online, um, but there still is that, that need for um, deposits and withdrawals of cash. Um, and we're fortunate at American Riviera to have drive up uh, facilities in both our Santa Barbara and San Luis Obispo counties. Um, but you mentioned the night drop service that's been opened up, and I think that's a real creative way um, to let people still uh, put their put their money into the bank um, where it's safe and sound and insured by the FDIC, um, even if they're not historically a business customer that has used night drop services in the past. Um, you know, the, the cash is counted in dual custody. We have security protocols in place, um, and it's it's a really great way to know that your your money is being taken care of, um, despite you not being able to actually physically go into the branch. What other types of um, banking services do you see are important um, in a time like this online? Well, one of the things that um, I think is helpful, not just in a disaster, but um, in general is, is online account opening. So customers that want to come in and open up an account can do it from the website, um, can fund the account from the website, and basically get right into online banking and start working with us. And so that's something that uh, we have a partial solution for today, but it's definitely something that we are looking to enhance um, in the coming months and, and hope to have something very soon um, that is fully end-to-end. -end. I think the great thing about a community bank as well is you do have access to people that are local in your community. Um, we have uh, one of our branches in particular um, receives multiple calls a day for opening accounts. Um, and obviously you've got different reasons to open accounts. Um, You've got, you're bringing over different relationships, maybe you're a new client coming to the bank. But one of the things that we've done is we've taken off the, the rolling of the, of the calls into our customer call center so that they go direct to their branch of choice. Um, and in the branch, they've got access to very seasoned banking experts that can help guide them through those types of discussions and help them make the right decisions about products and services for them. So I think that's something that, that community banks really have an advantage in uh, supporting the community because we have the ability to have real bankers sitting um, you know, in those offices to help people. That's a great point. It's the best of both worlds. Um, you know, if, if you start an account opening online but have questions, you can always call us and somebody can walk you through it, um, help you make the right decision. So it's the convenience of online with also the traditional personal touch that a community bank offers. So Paul, I've been stealing one of your um, one of your catchphrases that you've, you've been using for a while now, and it's never been more true, this idea that constraints drive creativity. Well, um, that wasn't me. I think NASA actually came up with that. But, <laughs> yeah. but still, I think um, watching what's going on here at ARB and watching what's going on throughout the community, it's, it's never been more true. Um, I was even seeing online a lot of the local restaurants, um, in addition to going to, to curbside service, some of them that had um, provisions are turning themselves into little grocery stores where they can sell uh, their supplies direct to the consumers. Um, you know, I think everyone's been a little bit surprised by this, this hoarding that's going on, the lines to get into grocery stores and some of the basic necessities that just aren't on the shelves. Um, and it's interesting because 
we, we all uh, moved to Amazon to solve for that problem and now even Amazon is out of everything. How do you think this is going to impact uh, online shopping? Well, I think that a lot of people are probably going to um, continue to shop online after this. Um, but that said, I think you're right that this is an opportunity for the local businesses to come through and, and deliver service when um, some of those large big box retailer supply chains fall down. Yeah, I think it's never been more important to shop local and to support your local community. Um, and just one last point on this. I mean, the, here on the Central Coast, it's a community that really, um, that really gets behind one another. And I continue to be surprised and amazed with um, the attitudes of, of people that you see, whether you're taking a walk in the park and trying to maintain that distance um, even not letting your dogs come into contact and things like that. Um, but I think that as a community, we're going to get through this. Um, our community is going to end up out of this stronger than it ever was. And I think that that's only going to be possible if we continue to do it together and continue to leverage um, each other's strengths to, to see us through this, this tough time. I think that's absolutely true. We'll get nothing but better. And uh, everybody's working really hard. Thanks, Paul. Well, I think that concludes our talk for today. Um, we focused quite a bit on technology and um, some of the things that we're already seeing uh, really early on into this pandemic. Um, we've been on a shelter in place order now for uh, just over a week. I think it's been a week. Um, my goodness, like time. Year. Yeah, it does feel like a year. Um, so it's still very early on. Uh, we're looking to do uh, additional podcasts in the future about um, bank products and services including on the lending side. Um, but for right now, um, we encourage you to check back. We've got a uh, social media presence. We've got a blog. Our website continues to uh, be updated with information on what's going on and how you can be best supported during this time. And we thank you for listening today.